Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Excellent. The whole thing just fell out of my pocket and the whole clip is gone. So this is a phenomenal way to start. So those of you who are thinking about becoming preachers, this is what you don't do right here. Okay, everybody? This is what you don't do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm all tangled up in this thing now. Um, We're so glad you're here at LifePoint. My name is Danny Rivers and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And we want to say a special welcome to all of our guests here today. Thank you for being with us. If you're here in the room, if you're in the lobby, if you're online, wherever you're at, thank you so much for being here. I want to tell you about one thing. I know you heard a bunch of announcements, but I want to tell you about one more thing. Um, We have uh, an orphanage that we um, support in the Philippines and outside of Manila, about two hours outside of Manila in a town called Arayat. And there's 119 of the most spectacular, beautiful children um, that live there. Many of these kids have come from honestly horrific, horrific circumstances. And there is a team of people there that love them, treat them with the kindness that they deserve. And it's an amazing thing. I got to go in October. I'm taking another group of you. Some of you are going with us again in October uh, this year. Um, we, um, this is our number one missions partner. Um, and we have been able to give, give about 22 to 23% of their annual budget every year to them to support them in that way. Um, we decided we wanted to take it another step this year. And they do, um, the, the church that started it uh, does a 5K run in, on behalf of Ima's Home and they raise a quarter of their budget um, there from that one thing. So we're like, w- we could do that. We could, run, we could do a 5K here. And so we're gonna do a 5K uh, in October, October the 14th. And I'm just dripping it today. Uh, we're gonna talk about it a lot more as we get closer. You'll be able to register. It's for the whole family. You'll be able to register for your kids. Everybody can come. Uh, it's over in Holotus, right in Old Town Holotus, where we'll be doing this. It's, uh, there's a 1K for kids. It, it's, we'll, we'll give you a lot of information. But I wanna start today by just talking about sponsorships, um, sponsorship opportunities. Um, we've, done, we've done 5Ks here before as a church uh, to build water wells in Africa, to do the things that we've done all over the world. And we're going to do another one. And so we have sponsoring opportunities for people who have businesses or families who want um, to leave a legacy. Um, Kevin Steele, Kevin, would you stand for me just real quick? Kevin's right here. Kevin is running this, um, this uh, opportunity for us. Yeah, you can give it up for him. He'll, he'll be out at Next Step Central. Um, you can also, you'll be able to email him at kevin at lifepointsa.com if you have more questions. Um, we're looking for presenting sponsors, platinum sponsors, gold level sponsors, silver level sponsors, bronze, community, all of these different sponsorships. And honestly, the sponsorships are what, are, are what generates the real money that we're going to send. And every dime that comes in um, is going to go back over uh, to Ima's Home to help them do what they're doing. They have 119 kids. Right now we're building a brand new facility right now. So I'll, I'm going to show you some brand new video of it next weekend. It's getting close to being done. But we're going to keep expanding until we can have 300 kids there, y'all. 300 kids off the streets, out of the garbage uh, dumps uh, outside of Manila, out of brothels. Honestly, kids are coming out of brothels, sex trafficked. We've, we've had people get rescued from there, brought to Ima's home. That's what you guys are doing. And we want to just elevate that by helping them build the new, re- the new buildings that are going up right now. So I'm praying, I'm asking you to help us with that. If you, if you, if you own a business, if you work at a business where they do stuff like this, talk to Kevin and we're going to make sure that we get this done because it's, it's an amazing, uh, amazing opportunity. We're in this series um, called This Is What We Do. 
Um, and we've been talking about the, the, the culture of Jesus, the culture that Jesus had in his ministry. If you read through his ministry, if you read through his teachings, if you read through his interactions with people, with Jesus, everybody was welcome. We know that. With Jesus, um, nobody was perfect except, of course, Jesus. And with Jesus, what we also know is that anything, with Jesus, anything, come on, say it with me, anything is, is possible. Anything is possible. And I want us to look today at a, chapter, at a story from Jesus' ministry, Mark, Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark chapter 9. Um, before we get to this, this story, I, wanna, I want you to think about What's going on in your life right now? What are you facing in life? What circumstances, what, what financial circumstances? Is, is there a trouble? Is there something that's going on in your world? Can you see something on the horizon that's coming your way that seems like, I don't know how we're gonna deal with that or I don't know how I'm gonna deal with what's going on uh, in, in my life? What is impossible pot potentially for you that is not going to be impossible for Jesus? Um, is, it, is, it a, is it a human relationship? Is it a broken relationship? Is it a financial breakthrough? Is it that you need a job or you need a better job or you need a more dependable job? Is it a spiritual breakthrough? Is it healing emotionally, physically, spiritually, or mentally, right? Is it for a loved one who's gone far from God? Is it for the Holy Spirit to help you overcome the hurts, the habits, the hangups of life? Is it, is it purpose? You don't know what your purpose is. Whatever it is, I want you to get it in mind right now. I want you to think about it. What is the thing that, that feels impossible to you that, that God can do? And my question for us today is, what would you pray about if you knew it was really possible? Like, what is your anything is possible prayer? There, there's this character in Mark chapter nine. We're gonna read about him in just a second, but I wanna tell you about him. He's a dad. Now, this isn't, this isn't a story. This isn't a parable. This isn't a story that Jesus constructs to teach principles. This is a real life story, really happened. Eyewitnesses there, why, this is why we have it in our Bible. This guy is a dad and he is in deep despair. And what's killing him is that his son has been being tormented um, both physically and spiritually and emotionally by an evil spirit. That's what we read in Mark 9. As a dad, he has felt hopeless and powerless to affect a change for his son that he loves so much. He's brought his son even to Jesus' disciples, hoping that they can deal with this evil spirit. And we learn in this chapter that they couldn't. And Jesus says, you haven't been praying. You haven't been fasting. You have no power because of that, right? And so finally, he gets the son to Jesus. And here's what happens. This is Mark 9, verse 20. So they brought him. They brought the dad. They brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And by the way, if you think this is fairy tale, I've seen this with my own eyes. I have witnessed this many times in my life. And if you're like, well, it's because you're nuts. No, it wasn't me. Come on, somebody. I was praying for somebody. All right, this, this is real. This is real talk. Like a lot of people don't want to believe in stuff like that. It's real, okay? Now I want to stop and say something about this because what we're reading here is the reason we talk about Jesus so much here and the reason we will keep our focus on Jesus is because Jesus is on, this is how I like to say it, he's on a hell, come on, hell never level, right? 
The disciples can't do anything. When the the dad brings the disciple, the the boy to the disciples, the the spirits don't freak out, right? They're just like, what's up, bro, right? Because they know these guys don't have any real power at this point in their lives. But as soon as the spirit gets in the presence of Jesus, sees Jesus, uh, it freaks out. And that's because Jesus has power, like real power, right? And there's nobody like Jesus. And if we're going to say that with Jesus, anything is possible, we need to know why that's true. We need to keep the focus on Jesus. Like, like I want to tell you a story. I, I remember when I was about 25 years old, 26 years old, starting in, in ministry as a student pastor at a church. And for whatever reason, the pastor decided we were going to start praying on Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m. Come on, y'all know that nobody ought to be praying at five if you're under 55. Come on, right? That's just, should be a rule. Can I get a witness from somebody, right? Anyways, I'm there. I'm barely there. Come on, y'all. I'm there only in flesh. Like not, my spirit is in bed, out cold. And I'm just there, you know, just like, dear God, why have you forsaken me at five? You know, Southern brother though, he's into it, man. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. This brother is walking around, yelling, hollering at five in the morning. And I can't pray because I'm just listening to this brother. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever he said, God, that's me too, you know. But this dude was the kind of brother that he not only prayed really loud, he just said the same thing over and over again. And he would walk around five in the morning, y'all, it's dark. It's dark 30, right? And, and he's like, oh God, thou art a terrible God. And I'm going, bro, I don't think you can say that. Like I was expecting like lightning bolts from heaven. Like now I, he was praying like King James language, right? Because I'm thinking, I think he's pretty good myself. He's a pretty good God, except he got me up here at five, right? right. Now, now the thing is, we were both right. He is good God. He is terrible God. Now let me explain what I mean. Um, on the one hand, he's, he's tender. He's, he's, he's loving. He's the friend of sinners, but on the other hand, the Bible says he's terrible in that he's fearful and majestic and awe-inspiring. In fact, after that guy did that that day, I went and did research on terrible. Is that part of the Bible? Turns out it's all over the Bible in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament in particular. And he's called terrible a bunch of times, but in this way of like, he's like, whoa, time out. So on the one hand, he's, 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 he's loving and he's faithful. And, 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 and on the other hand, he's terrifying. Now, there's a part of us that says, wait a minute, bro. Like, don't you tell us that he's loving and kind and tender? And doesn't the Bible say he's meek and lowly? Yes, all of that. He is all of that. But he's all of that in a terrifying, holy God kind of way, right? He's both Abba, Daddy, and like, whoa, time out. What's happening right here? And that's what we're reading right here. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that at the end of the age that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they're gonna all see, all of us, we're all gonna see how great, how great our God is, right? How, how, how spectacular, how beautiful, right? 
All the people who don't believe in him right now, all the people who have made fun of anybody who believes in Jesus, they're gonna stop that in that moment. All the people who cast aspersions his way, they won't be saying anything at all at the, in that moment. All the people who, 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 have, who have denigrated the faith, they're gonna stop in that moment. They're gonna have nothing to say, but, but you are the most amazing thing that any of us have ever seen. You're stunning, and in fact, you're, you're so stunning that you're scaring us all to death right now because of your beauty, your splendor, your blinding radiance. And everybody on earth who's ever lived, come on somebody, is gonna to drop to their knees and they're gonna see how great our God is. In fact, Jesus, uh, when he, because he, he's, come on, Jesus is not a man walking on the earth. Everybody understands this right now. He is full on God right now. He is not God slash man anymore. He's just God, right? He, and, and, and John, his best friend, John the beloved, when he writes about the glorified Jesus in Revelation, he says, when I saw him, Revelation 17, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Like, 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 that's how great Jesus is. Yeah, but Danny, what about intimacy and, and relationship and, and love and the New Testament and grace? What about all that, Danny? Let me tell you something. The purpose of grace is to get people like me and you who aren't very holy into relationship with a very holy God. That's the point of grace, right? Someone who has no hint of darkness, no evil in his life, not one whatsoever. In fact, the Bible says that heaven, it, it, Jesus is so radiant that there is no need for the sun, the moon, the stars, that all the light that we'll ever need emanates from Jesus. That's what it says there. One who is absolutely pure, grace gets us access to him. We can, Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence, Grace gives us access. Now, this story that we're, we're reading about today, this isn't the only time that evil spirits freaked out when Jesus shows up. Earlier in Mark's gospel, right? Mark, John Mark is writing the, the sayings of Peter. Peter is recounting his story. Guy named John Mark writes it all down. Eyewitness, Peter's telling him, this is what happened. This is exactly how it went down. Our gospel's called Mark, but it's the, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the sayings of Peter. It's ultimately about, it's Peter's recollection, right? So Mark chapter one, Jesus starting his ministry, he goes to the local synagogue, which is like this uh, in, 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 in the area that he's in. It's just a local congregation. He starts teaching. They say, nobody's ever taught like this guy before. We've never seen anybody with this kind of authority. There is a guy there in Mark one who, who has an impure spirit. That's what the Bible calls it, an impure spirit. The spirit stands up and starts talking to Jesus, right? In, in the middle of his teaching, by the way, aren't you grateful that that hasn't happened to you? Can I get an amen from somebody, right? Because he's on a different level. And sometimes he has to show up and display his power. And the demon starts talking to Jesus. And, and most of us have not been down that road, praise God, right? Not, not walked on water, not raised the dead. Come on, or had demons talk to you. There's something about Jesus. He's on a level that we don't even really understand, right? And, and, but the demon knows who he is. And, and Jesus doesn't have to say, hey, what's your name, bruh? Me and you got some business, right? As soon as Jesus walks up, the evil spirit inside this guy yells out, I know who you are. And then he says this, you are the holy one of God. And, 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 and so John, John's gospel, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him. And then he says, and he came from the father, right? Jesus did, full of grace and 
truth. Come on, grace and truth, right? And, and in a heartbeat, in this moment, the grace of God and the truth of God come together. The intimacy of Christ that says, I want to know this brother who's struggling, uh, like I want to really know him, but also the terrifying power and righteousness of Christ that says, even when an evil spirit gets in his presence, goes, whoa, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Is this it for me? And Jesus is like, yeah, get out. You're gone. You're done right here, right now. And that's it. And that's exactly what happens in our story. I'm saying all of this right here so that you can know when we say with Jesus, anything is possible. I need you to know who Jesus is. I need you to know there's power. There's real power. So Mark 9, back to our story. Verse 21 that was just verse 20. Sorry, yeah, that was a long, like a long, the rest of them won't be that long. You can chill out, all right? Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Now, we don't know the kid's age. He could be 20 years old at this point. We don't know. He says, from childhood. So he's older than a child. He answered, it's often, now pay attention here. It's often thrown him into the fire or into water like a pond or in the ocean trying to kill him. But notice this word now. But if you can, do, say this with me, do. Take pity on us and help us. But if you can do anything. I think that question, it may not resonate with you like it's resonated with me, but it's given me pause. It's, it's, it's caused me to say, and I want to ask you a question. What do you believe about Jesus? American Christians, those of, a lot of you are, right? What do you believe about Jesus? And, and who is he to you? Deal with that for just a second. Who is Jesus to you? And then... What do you believe that he is capable of doing in your life? But if you can, if you can, the if stands out like a sore thumb. It does for Jesus as well as we'll see. For, for me, so does this word pity right here. This is the father going, hey, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. The thing that, the pity is kind of like sympathy, right? We've talked about this over the last several weeks multiple times. That Jesus didn't feel pity, he felt compassion. He felt empathic response, he had an empathic response to the, the people that he encountered. He's having not pity, he's feeling the pain of this, this dad. He has an empathic response, meaning I feel what you feel. I know what you're going through, I've been there. But Hebrews says we don't have a high priest that can't, that can't empathize with what we're going to, the meaning we do have a, 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 a savior who's been where we are, who understands. So he, he's not gonna take pity here. He's gonna feel what the dad feels. And, and this plea or this prayer that comes from this desperate father expresses a very common experience that many of us have experienced. That sense of, of confusion and unbelief that comes to us in our faith journey, right? Where we have this kind of strange cocktail of, I believe but I'm not sure. Or I, I have faith, but I have, I'm not sure if, if you will do this for me. I believe you can for them, but I don't know if you will for me. Does that make sense? 
I think this is what's happening with this guy. I think we can relate to this. And Jesus says, uh, gives him a little bit of a rebuke. He says, if you can, you serious, bro? But then notice what he does. Everything is, this is where we get that statement that's out there on that wall. Everything is possible. Or in our language, anything is possible for one who believes. Now this word is a participle and it means the believing one. Everything is possible for believing ones, right? And immediately the boy's father exclaims, say it with me, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now let's recap for just a second. The man asks Jesus, would you heal my son? Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. That is, I can do it if you can believe. The, the, the father responds, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is, I'm trying to believe, but I have some doubts. And then Jesus heals the boy's son, casts the demon he calls the mute and deaf spirit out of the boy. And the boy's healed immediately in that moment. Now, this is really good news because through Jesus, we don't need a kind of perfect faith to access God's presence and God's power to work on our behalf. Because Jesus could have been like, bro, do you know who I am? Like I'm God in human flesh. The full glory, the, full, the fullness of the Godhead, Jesus says, is in me, right? Like, like it dwells in me. I, I created the world, so before I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna need you to purify your heart, get rid of all your doubts, stop being double-minded, get on your knees. Once you've cleaned up your act, then maybe I'll help you. But Jesus doesn't do this, right? In fact, the boy says, I'm not faithful. The dad says, I'm not faithful. I, I, I have doubts. I can't muster enough strength to believe fully. And, and Jesus heals him anyways. And why does this man have doubts anyway? Let's think about that for a second. Put yourself in his experience, right? At the moment he's encountered Jesus, he spent numbers of years, probably spent money trying to get his, his help, uh, help for his son. But the problem is that the affliction that he has isn't a physical one, it's a demonic one. Meaning he can't take him to a doctor. He can't, he can't take him to a traditional you know, medical care specialist. And he says the spirit has been troubling the boy since early childhood, causing violent seizures, pre preventing him from speaking. We learn later he's deaf, he's mute. The kid's never said a word to his family before, ever. Think about that. I'm positive that mom and dad have had to save the life of their precious son many times, rescuing him from the fire and from the water that the spirit threw him into. You think about that kind of pressure on you daily. Those of you who are raising toddlers right now, you get a little bit of that semblance. Come on, parents that are older now, do you ever wonder back and go, how did I get him alive this long? Come on, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how did I get him here? Because you know what you did when you were their age? Come on, I tell my mom and dad now, like what stuff we used to do, and they're like, what? Right? So I know my kids are doing the what stuff right now. Okay, anyways. Just let them come home today, God, right? J just think about that kind of pressure that at any moment the kid can just run and jump into fire. Right? And you're thinking, what's going to happen if we're not there when he does that? Or what's going to happen to him if we die and there's no one else to take him? So, so that if you can makes a little bit of sense, doesn't it? Because they've tried it all. So he says, have pity on us and help us. I think that's saving faith. The kind of faith where the faith is anchored and rooted in Jesus, not in oneself.
That's saving faith. And that's the faith that this man has. And the reason I say that, all of this, and I've broken this story down, is because this dad is a lot like us. Right? Right? His unbelief has roots in his own personal experience. He took him to the, the, the so-called professionals, the, the disciples, nothing happened. His fears and disappointments have shaped his expectations about what God will do or won't do. So has ours. He, he, he's vulnerable in deeply personal places to losing the fight for faith. So are we. We can sympathize with this man when he pleads, pleads, if you can, have compassion and help. And, and I think that what we're seeing here is what we saw last week if you were here. In the story that, we, that Jesus gave us, I, I think just this honest offering of, Lord, I believe, but there's part of me that's struggling to believe. And, and we find that in both stories, that's all that's needed. Just saying, my faith isn't perfect, but I do believe. Is faith necessary to experiencing the presence and power of God? 100% yes. Without faith, Hebrews 6, without, or 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God right? That's what we know. But what we're seeing here is it doesn't have to be a sort of fully formed, fully mature, perfect faith. And if that were the case, if it had to be that way, none of us would ever experience the presence and power of God. Yes or no, right? What would your faith look like? Let me say it this way. What would your life look like if you actually believed the power of God was available to you, that anything was possible? What would your life be like if the power of God was flowing regularly into your life on a daily basis because we all, you and I, we need power much more than we think we do. Because we live in a country where we think we got it. We're all that. We're powerful. We're strong. We have, we have money. We have wealth. We have jobs. We can go out and make it happen. We're self-made, except none of us are. None of us are. How do I get God's power in my life? in this place where everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect and with Jesus, anything is possible. How do I get the power that I need to, to go through life? Now, this is the question that's particularly true for people who most need power. Now, this is a big thing for you and I to consider. Who needs power? It's an interesting thing. God's power tends to to, 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 to come not to people who think of themselves as powerful or self-sufficient, but God's power tends to show up to people who acknowledge their powerlessness. God's power shows up in the way that we talked about it last week. It wasn't the righteousness of the Pharisee that got God's attention. It was the honesty and the powerlessness of the tax collector that got God's attention. This is why I believe, and I've seen born witness into my own life because I grew up in Kenya, everybody. My parents were missionaries. Uh, I, I believe in third world countries, this is why we see a lot more of, of, of supernatural miracles prevalent in their biblical communities than we do here in America. Because they, they acknowledge their lack of power and they rely, as a result, more heavily on God's power than we do, right? We like to talk about it, we don't want to have to experience it. Now, I read this study that was done by a Harvard professor, a social scientist who was also a believer. Um, he studies the movements of Christianity throughout um, the centuries, from, from, from 80, 60, or 30, whenever it, it, gets, it comes into 
to, to, to power, to prevalence. He studies the movements of it. And he studies the movements of it because he talks about in the world's great religions, there's always a center of the religion. So for, for, for Judaism, right, it's Jerusalem, right? So there's a wailing wall there. There's the, the center of Judaism is in Zion, Jerusalem, right? If you think about Muslims, right, where? Mecca, Saudi Arabia. They, they make it a pilgrimage every year. Um, my neighbors in Kenya were, were Hindu, and so when we'd go into their house, they would have all these shrines, and, but, but the center of, of Hinduism is not Kenya. It's in India, right? And you can just go line by line. Salt Lake City, that's where, that's where Jehovah's Witnesses center is, right? But, but Christianity center, where is it? Right? It's moved. It starts in Jerusalem, but Jesus says in Acts 1 and 8, I'm going to give you power, and you're going to be my witnesses to, in Jerusalem and into Samaria and in Judea and into the uttermost parts of the world. It's like concentric circles spreading out. And, and so and after Jesus is, ascends and, and is resurrected, they go out all over the Mediterranean rim, Ephesus, Galatia, Philippi. They go Rome. They go all over the, the Mediterranean rim. It starts there. But over the first three centuries, it grows in popularity, grows in power. It's persecuted incredibly for for a hundred years or more, right? But by the time the third century rolls around, Constantine is the emperor. He becomes a believer. He declares that the entire Roman Empire is Christian. He moves it out of Rome and he takes it over to what is now Istanbul uh, in Turkey, which becomes known as Constantinople, Constantinople. And that's the center of Christianity. It then spreads all through Europe. Right, goes all through Europe, through England, through the UK, through Ireland, through all of the, 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 the and so when you think about the, the center of Christianity, think about Europe, but it leaves, it kind of moves and it kind of drifts. And then 18th century in, in the United States, 19th century in the United States, early 20th century, the, 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 the presence, the power of Christianity is centered in, 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 in North America in particular. We're sending missionaries all over the world from, the, from but, but if you look at now, he, he talks about this in the study that, that, that the center of, of Christianity has moved again. It's moved away from North America. Do we have Christianity here? Yes. Is this a Christian nation? Not anymore. We live in a post-Christian nation. Like, is there a lot of Christians here? Yes. Yes, there is. But we live in a post-Christian. So where is God's presence and power moving? This is all from this study, by the way. Central America, Mexico, South America, all through Central and South America, the power of God, the presence of God, Christianity is booming. You go over to Africa, certain parts of Africa, right? Power, presence of God moving, churches growing, people getting saved, parts of Asia, even into some parts of the Middle East, power of God, presence of God is moving. Because Christianity is a spirit, Holy Spirit breathed movement, nobody can contain the Holy Spirit. So there is no center because the spirit, John, Jesus says to, uh, to Nicodemus, the spirit can go wherever it wants to. The way he says it, it goes wherever it listeth. Wherever it wants to, spirit blows. But here's where the spirit blows. Now you're going, dude, you're taking too long on this. No, I'm not because we got to get this, okay? If we're going to be a church where anything is possible, we got to get this, all right? So the spirit tends to move wherever people are hungry and humble. Wherever people are hungry and humble, and what happened, he's describing why the Spirit of God moved, why Christianity moves, is because when God's presence comes in, God's blessings come in. 
And with God's blessings, people grow wealthier and people go, grow comfortable and people grow complacent. And then people start to think, I did this. We did this. We're Americans. We did all this. No, we didn't. Come on, people. We didn't do this. God did this. The, but, but what happens is the people start to go, we don't really need you anymore, God. We kind of got this now. And the spirit goes, okay, I'm gonna move over here where people are hungry and humble and, and are on their faces going, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and repent, then I'll heal their, their, their land. Then I'll come down and I'll do what I'm gonna do. And that's why there's been a shift even from in the United States where, where, where it's moving through all these people, wherever people are hungry and humble, God is moving and doing the quote, impossible. You go to a place like Nairobi, Kenya, where I grew up, nobody there believes anything other than Jesus, with Jesus, anything is possible. Because they have no other choice but to believe that. But over here, eh, I think we can just go over here and do this and do that and figure it out ourselves. Now, this is both good news and bad news for us here in the United States. It's bad news because it's become clear over the last several decades that our country has lost humility from the top down, lost humility. We've lost our hunger for the things of God. And that's why the spirit is moving more powerfully in other places. It's good news because God can move wherever people are hungry and humble. So we get to choose... We get to choose as individuals, we get to choose as a body of believers whether we're gonna be a place that God moves on. We get to decide if, if we believe in God's power to do anything, we get to decide if our posture will be one of spiritual passion and hunger and, and the humility that we described last week, right? So I just wanna finish and say that as for, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, we will believe God's word, we will be on our knees praying for the power of God, the presence of God to move here in our family, but here in this church, church. And we're going to believe that, that, that anytime somebody comes to the front and says, Hey, I need prayer, that there's going to be people who believe that with Jesus, anything is possible. And they're going to pray the prayer of faith and people are going to get healed and people are going to get delivered and people are going to get set free. And I know I'm hollering, but I just came off vacation. So I'm very comfortable. Everybody got a little bit of a tan. You're like, man, don't let that brother go on vacation again. He's too long already. And now he's hollering. Come on, if you talk about Jesus, I just got to holler sometimes, everybody, because I holler for the Cowboys. I holler at the Cowboys. I holler at the Spurs. The best thing I can do is holler for Jesus. Can I get a witness, somebody, right? <clears throat> Last couple of minutes. How do you and I come to believe that with Jesus anything is possible? Now, all of you don't want that. I feel you. I literally can feel that coming from some folks right now. It's fine. You'll get there. I believe you're going to get there. You're welcome. I don't care if you believe any of this or not. You're always welcome here. We love you. We're so glad you're here. But we do believe that with Jesus, anything is possible, including whatever is going on in your heart and life. We believe that. Just gonna, we're going to keep believing, all right? There is a passage of Scripture written um, with the pen of a man named Paul. We call him Paul the Apostle. He's writing to a place called Ephesus. He's writing a letter to them. This letter is meant to be circular, meaning he wants it to go to Ephesus and he wants them to take it to the next town and the next town and the next town. But it's called Ephesians. I love this passage. I love the book of Ephesians. It's my favorite book of the Bible. When I was a youth pastor, I wrote an entire commentary for students from the book of Ephesians. And this is my favorite part of all of it. 
So you've heard me read this. If you've been going here for a long time, you've heard me read this a lot of times. Verse 14, Ephesians 3, chapter 14, or verse 14. By the way, 14, verse 1, he says, I'm praying, he says, I'm going to pray for the people that I love, right? Different words, but... And then he gets sidetracked in the start of his prayer. And for verses 12, uh, 2 through 13, he just goes completely off the rails. He's ADD like me. Come on, praise God for that. Comes back to it. He's like, oh, yeah. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Every family in heaven and earth derives its name, meaning you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I are family. I know in our country, there is much to divide us. We highlight all kinds of reasons why we're not the same and we're different and we, we, we get on each other and we go after each other. But in this house, you and I, we are part of the family of God. Yes, we live in America. Yes, we have presidents and governors and all of this. But listen, there's a truth that trumps all of that, right? And the truth is this. There is a kingdom. We are part of the kingdom. This kingdom has no ending, right? And there is a king and his name is Jesus. And that makes you and I family. And we all derive our name from the father. I didn't have time for that. Here we go. I pray that out of whose glorious riches? His. That he may strengthen you with what? With power through his spirit. Spirit moves, spirit breathes, spirit empowers. We want the Holy Spirit. We want, the, we want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We want to f- be filled with the Spirit. Come on, everybody. This is where the power comes from. That it may strengthen you with power through a spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that, he's not done, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have what? Second time, Power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses any ability to comprehend it, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, now Paul, it's like he's looking at this, this truth that God has revealed to him. Jesus has revealed to him again. And as he's looking at this painting, the canvas of the love, the grace, the majesty of God, as he surveys the wonderful cross and what it's accomplished for him, it's like it's, it's, it's blowing his mind fresh and new. And so he bursts forth into this doxology. That's what it is. It's a doxology in verse 20. And look at these words. And he says, now, now to him who is, come on, please say it with me. Now to him who is, one more time. Now to him who is, to do what? Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, that's us, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's beautiful. The conviction that Paul has that we're trying to have too, and when we say with Jesus, anything is possible. The conviction that Paul has is that our God is able. And he's able to do what? <clears throat> right? And anything that we need in this world and in our lives. And no problem stops him, no obstacle towards him, no circumstances surprise him, no outcomes confuse him. God is able. 
In fact, Jeremiah 32, verse 17, he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens by, uh, and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. And, and what is impossible to him? Nothing is, right? And I know that sometimes in life, the situations in which we find ourselves, like this dad in Jesus' story, because our prayers haven't been answered the way we, we desperately ached that they would. It can make us doubt the veracity of this truth that, that nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for God. But please remember when Paul writes these words, he's in chains. He's imprisoned. And he doesn't, he's, 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 a, he's waiting to be, to be killed. That's what's gonna happen to him. And he doesn't write, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every blessing, every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he'll get me out of jail. That's what, come on, I would have prayed that. You would have, you would have prayed that. Paul doesn't. It's this conviction that Paul has that means he would pray this same prayer, have this same confidence in a jailhouse as he would have if he was staying in the penthouse. Either way, my God is able. What do, we, what do you and I have to believe if we're going to experience God's power? Because Jesus says everything, everything is possible for the believing one. What do you and I have to be convicted with? The same thing, not a him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the, the ages long. The world that you and I live in believes in God. A lot of people believe in a higher power of some kind, but we, we have relegated him to, to being a cosmic bystander, not active and involved in our lives. And so Paul says that not only is God able to do or to work, He's not just a cosmic bystander. He's active and he's involved in the universe, but it's more personal than that. Our God is able to do what we ask, which is why we pray, why we have people come to the front. And some of us don't believe this is true, so this is why we don't pray, or we only pray as a last resort. And this is why James says, you, you have not because you ask not. Our God is able to do, but he's bigger than that. He's not just what we ask. He's able to do stuff that we imagined, but we didn't think to ask. That's what he says. And, and, and he's bigger than that. He's not just able to do most of what we ask. Our, able, our God is able, the older translations say, to do all that we ask or think or imagine. But he's bigger than that. Not just what we ask or think or imagine, but he says it's more than all of that. He says he's not able to just do a little bit more. He says our God is able to do immeasurably more. Some of you grew up on the King James Version like I did, where it says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now that word exceeding abundantly, that wasn't a real word. Paul made that up. It's, it's not in anywhere else in, in literature. He makes this word up. He's like, I just have to find a way to make sure people know how able our God is. 
And we have to camp out in this reality because our world tells us that the power resides in the politicians or the power resides in the cultural icons, the entertainment, or it it resides in, in scientific or educational discovery. And all of that is all fine and good for human beings, but we serve somebody much more powerful, much higher than all of that. And we will not pray, and you will not pray, if you don't believe in your deepest places that our God is able and that with Jesus anything is possible. So what is it you need God to do for you? That's why I started. That's where I'm going to end. What is it that you need God to do for you? What is impossible with you that is not impossible to God? And if you say, well, Danny, I don't know about any of that because I've never seen God do the miraculous like you have. Can I ask you one more question? Have you been saved by the precious blood of Jesus? So, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you've received the forgiveness of your sins because you have a forgiveness with God, if you've been raised to life with Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit, you have seen the greatest miracle of all done in your own life. There is no greater miracle than that. Which means that you are a living example and proof of the truth that with Jesus, anything is possible. So Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the word of the Lord. God, I know this is what happens every week and somebody comes up, somebody preaches, people hear, people listen, eight people say amen. We appreciate those eight people a whole lot. And then the rest of us, we, 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 we kind of go back out and then we just do whatever we're going to do. And we don't, we don't live in the reality. We don't camp out in the reality of what's been said. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And sometimes I'm the one that did the preaching and I'm still guilty. But I pray, I pray that as we exit this place today, before we do, if we have a need, that we come to the front and get prayed for. There's prayer partners that are coming up. In fact, they're going to come up right now. They're going to come up right now. They're going to be ready for this. And they're going to agree with you in prayer that if you have anything going on in your heart and your life, for the first gathering, people came. Last week, people came. If you were here, you saw that with your own eyes. And we're just praying, God, that, that by faith, that people would camp out in the reality that our God is able. So whatever it is they're going through, whatever's facing them, whatever seems insurmountable or impossible, may they come to believe, as Paul did, that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think or imagine, not according to our own worth, not according to our own goodness, but, in, but, but, but according to the power that is at work in Christ Jesus. And all glory and all honor be unto Jesus in the church and in the people's lives. We say this in Jesus' name. All glory to you, Lord. Amen. 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 Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.